There is something that I think every human has a desire to understand, and it's this desire to know our future. Uh, and we see this oftentimes with people who are trying to figure out what their life might hold, and so they, they go through these quasi-spiritual things, like uh, they go and get their palm read, or they'll get their tarot cards read, or they'll look at their astrological sign. Uh, they might even try a Ouija board, or it's, I mean, it's as humorous as a fortune cookie at the end of a Chinese uh, meal, right? All those things point to this understanding, this ideal that we want to know what our future holds. And you may scoff at those things, but maybe you're the type of person who, before the season starts, you are listening to the sports ac- experts to find out how to fill out your fantasy draft or your fantasy pool. You're uh, trying to figure out, maybe you even lay down a few bucks gambling on, on betting on teams that will win the championship. I mean, have you picked your Super Bowl team yet? Um, and then there's others of us who might even scoff at that and say, hey, but we still want to know the future, and we, and we show it by this. I mean, most of us will go to a financial advisor and ask them where they see the markets going so that we can figure out how to invest our money, or we'll go to a real estate agent and ask them, is it a good time, time to sell or buy? Uh, what's the market going to look like over the next little while? Uh, some people use uh, marketing agents to do market research for their businesses. We rely on pollsters to tell us kind of how elections are shaping up. All those people make a living based on trying to tell us what the future holds. We are a people who long to know the future. Even as kids, we get into this mindset. Let me show you this. Do you know what this is? This little piece of paper. It's a game that kids play that is called Fortune Teller. And basically, they write on the inside a number of things, and they have numbers on the outside, and they you know, do this game where basically they're trying to find out who they like or who likes them or who they're going to marry or how many kids are they going to have or what job are they going to have when they grow older. We are a future-oriented, future-guessing type of people. Which is why it shouldn't surprise us that when it comes to the Bible, and especially prophecy in the Bible, most Christians are intrigued uh, and fascinated by what the Bible has to say in terms of prophecy. And especially when it comes to the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation in the New Testament and Daniel in the Old Testament, those two books really seem to grab our attention. And it might be helpful to know that God actually tells us that he wants us to be interested in his books of prophecy. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, he basically says this, Blessed are those who read this book aloud. And blessed are those who listen to the words and take it to heart in terms of what it's trying to teach us. God wants us to be interested in the things that he has told us is, that are going to happen. And so today we're, we're continuing a story that we started last week. And this story is found in Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 24. And Daniel is that book in the Old Testament that is between all the big prophets, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And he's just before the 12 minor prophets, the little guys at the end of it. And so starting in chapter 2, verse 24, it says this, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret this dream for him. 
Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king said to Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. Let me just stop there for a second. You know, as we jump into this, I almost get this sense like you're watching a TV episode and you're watching the second part of a two-part, you know, episode and you almost need that voiceover guy to come in and and say this previously on uh, Daniel the Exile. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he told his wise men they needed to tell him the dream and he wasn't going to tell them and, and then he decided he was going to kill everybody. And that's where we're picking up the story. And you can see this, that Daniel has, if you were here with us last week, Daniel ended up going to God to find out what the dream was and God gave him the answer to this. And this is the continuation of that. And continuing on in verse 29, he says this, As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what was going to happen or what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand that what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And then Daniel moves into the interpretation in verse 36. This, is what, this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes are partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. 
but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown you the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Daniel starts off by making sure that Nebuchadnezzar does not miss the point. God is the revealer of mysteries. He is the one that gave him the dream. And he is the one that will interpret him for it. God is doing something special here for Nebuchadnezzar. He's actually letting Nebuchadnezzar know his future. And interestingly enough, this is often where people get hung up in the book of Daniel. They get to this story, this chapter, and usually there's one of two responses. And it depends on your worldview. It depends on how you view who God is and how powerful is and and what he does in this world. Oftentimes people get to this point and they look at these predictions, these prophecies of the future, and they scoff. And they say, that's not possible. They can't believe that God actually knows the future. They can't believe that God is the revealer of these mysteries. And yet, the book of Daniel is not just a a book that we read to our kids with these great stories in. In many ways, it's a book that challenges our concept of who God is and what he can do in our life. And Daniel basically sets this up with the king to show him that, and kind of almost by the end of the chapter, put him in a corner that says, look, you asked for this. You asked for someone to tell you what the dream was. You asked for it to be interpreted. And the only person who could do that is God. And you're going to need to acknowledge that by the end of when I'm finished. Daniel goes on to share the dream in verses 31 to 35. And um, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't correct him. So obviously Daniel nailed the dream. What God told him was what he actually dreamt about. And verses 36 to 45, you know what? There's been a lot of ink spilled on these verses. A lot of people who have tried to understand and, and, and show what these verses mean. What are these kingdoms, this, these statue, these pieces of metal in the statue, what kingdoms are, do they correlate with? And really, uh, there's two kind of main thoughts that are out there. There is some which we would call the Greek view, And basically, the interpretation of this view is this, that the Medes are the silver, the Persians are the bronze, and the Greeks are the iron and clay. And then there's one other uh, point of view on this, and this is often known as the Roman view of, of interpretation. And it basically goes like this. The Medes and the Persians are the silver. They're the shoulders. The, the Greeks are the bronze, and the Romans are the ones that are the iron and the clay. And then there's a lot of speculation on what the ten toes mean. And then there's a lot of writing on how this is connected to future chapters in in Daniel, like chapter 7, where Daniel has a a vision of four beasts, or chapter 8, where he talks about the ram and the goat, another dream that God gives him. And on some level, it doesn't really matter which interpretation it is. Because what I think is important, there are actually two things that we can know without a doubt in this prophecy. And the first one is this. 
The first one is this. The gold head represents Babylon and more specifically, Nebuchadnezzar. That's verse 38. We know without a shadow of a doubt that God is telling us that the gold head on this statue is Babylon. And as I was thinking about that, I was trying to put myself in the place of Nebuchadnezzar in this. And I mean, he has a dream, and last week we realized how much it disturbed him. And I think that's a common experience that we have all had. I'm sure you've had a dream. You've woken up uh, from a dream, and maybe it was a nightmare that freaked you out, and you couldn't stop thinking about it. Or maybe you just had a weird dream that it just kind of played over and over in your head, and the details didn't dissipate really quickly. Or maybe there was a dream you woke up from, and you go, there was something there, and I'm just not sure what, and it's bugging me. There are things in our life that we just can't explain that kind of put a niggle in our brain. And until, we're, until we figure it out, it just bugs us. A couple of weeks ago, I got into bed and I just had this niggling in my brain that I needed to go down and check our garage door, that it was open. And I, I was going like, why, is, why am I thinking about this? I don't, like I have... And it just wouldn't go away. And as I was think, laying in bed thinking about it, I realized that, okay, maybe it, it's because yesterday, the day before, uh, Pam had mentioned to me that someone in, in our community had had their garage broken into. And maybe that was part of it. And then as I thought about it, I realized that uh, one of my kids, just before I had come up for bed, uh, you know, like half an hour before, one of my kids had opened the garage door and, had got, and taken all the garbage out because it was garbage day the next day. And, uh, and I just kept sitting there and I go, but that doesn't make sense. I just, why would I, why would this bug me? And, but it wouldn't go away. So I got up, went downstairs, opened my door to the garage, and sure enough, the garage door was open. You see, the garbage can had rolled uh, into a place where it obstructed the sensor. And even though uh, they had closed the, hit the button to close the door, it had started and then had gone up and left the garage, and the garage completely open to the street. And so, thankfully, I had gone down, and I was able to close our garage door, go back into bed, and have peace of mind. And I think this is what's going on. Nebuchadnezzar does not have peace of mind, and he won't get peace of mind until he sorts out this thing. And here's the thing. I think God still does this to us. It might be a dream. It might be something else. But there are things in our life that God kind of twigs in our mind that just niggles us. And what he's trying to do is say, hey, you need to explore this. You need to go down this road. You need to find this answer. And sometimes the things that he is trying to get us to discover are things only he can show us. He tries to bring us to a place just like Nebuchadnezzar where he is the one that delivers the answer to us. He is the revealer of mystery in our life. As I was reading this chapter over again, one of the thoughts I had was, uh, how old is Nebuchadnezzar? Do you, real, do you know how old he is in this particular instance? Verse 1 of chapter 2 tells us it's the second year of his reign, which means that he's probably in his mid-20s, maybe late 20s. My guess is he's probably around 27. So put this into perspective. Here is a young man, a 27-year-old man, who has proven himself as a general. He's defeated the Egyptian army just a couple of years earlier. He has become the king of an empire. Like he is the man. Nebuchadnezzar, he is a Chad. He is the alpha dog. 
Like there's not much left in his life to prove. And yet I wonder if he, like a lot of young leaders, a lot of young people who when they get put in a place of leadership have these thoughts. You know, am I good enough to keep hold of this leadership position? Am I going to be good enough to last here? Am I going to succeed in this position in what I'm doing? Will I be successful? I mean, as a young man, who do I listen to? Where do I get my advice from? And I wonder if there's some palace politics going on. If you look back in verse 9, you'll realize that Nebuchadnezzar seems a little uncertain with the advice that he's getting from his wise men, and that's why he sets up this whole test for them. Here is a young guy who's at the beginning stages of his political, his life. He's full of life and energy. And I, and I wonder if he thinks, how long is this going to last? And in steps God. And basically God gives him a blessing by telling him that Nebuchadnezzar, guess what? You are going to be the leader of one of the most powerful empires this world is ever going to see. You are the gold head of that statue. And I wonder, by God stepping into this, whether that just gave Nebuchadnezzar confidence. Confidence that he needed in that moment. Confidence that he was lacking. I also wonder if it plays into the fact that two chapters later, in chapter 4, God is actually going to have to deal with Nebuchadnezzar's pride and whether this... This, uh, this prophecy that he hears from God builds his, puffs his heart up uh, in the long term. And so at the end of the day, we know this, that Nebuchadnezzar is the golden head on that statue. But we also know one other thing that this prophecy makes very clear, and that is this. There is only one kingdom that will last, and that kingdom will be the kingdom that God sets up. You see, Daniel refers to this rock that is cut out of a mountain, and he makes it very clear that this rock is not cut out by humans' hands. It is a divine action. This rock is connected to God. And what he's telling us, in essence, is this, that that rock is Jesus. And you get this picture, and it's actually carried on in the New Testament. Peter picks up this imagery of Jesus being the rock in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 4, and this is what Peter says. As you come to him, meaning as you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. And you have this imagery that Peter picks up on and it, you can tie it back to this prophecy that Daniel uh, interprets for the king, this picture that God gives the king of Nebuchadnezzar, that Jesus is this rock. And then as you think about Acts and the story of the early church, you get this imagery of that after Jesus ascends into heaven and the church is formed and the church starts and it starts to spread in Jerusalem and then into the surrounding areas and past Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, you get this picture of this rock becoming this mountain and the, the church is this mountain as the kingdom of God is spread throughout the whole world. It's amazing, this imagery that so lends itself to the New Testament gospel. And it reminds us of this simple fact that it always comes back to Jesus. The stories of the Old Testament point forward to Jesus. The New Testament reminds us 
of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The the one of the themes in Daniel, and we've covered this already, is this. That regardless of what you think is happening in the world, God is in control. And this vision, this prophecy is a reminder that regardless of the empires that raise and fall, rise and fall, God's kingdom is the one that will last forever. And God's redemptive plan is something that no one can thwart. And when God sets his kingdom in place, it is eternal. And, um, and so it is just a reminder of the hope that we have, that regardless of what happens in this world, we know that at the end of everything, God's kingdom will never fail. Some people in studying this chapter get so wrapped up in trying to understand the statue that they end up missing the whole point of what I think God is trying to tell us. They miss the most important part of the dream, that the rock becomes the mountain. How does Daniel end, Daniel 2 end, in, uh, in this story? Daniel uh, tells us that after he explains the vision to the king, verse 46 says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incest incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Daniel ends this story by telling us what happened. The king prostrating himself before Daniel. Can you picture that? The most powerful man on earth bowing before Daniel. Here's the crazy thing. If you realize this, that Daniel was probably about 17 years old. You see, this story, this event in Daniel's life takes place at the end of his three years of training in Babylon University. Back in chapter one, we looked at it. And here he is, a 17 or maybe 18-year-old kid, basically. And the king of Babylon is bowing to him because of what God had done through him. I think it's a great reminder of what God often does in our life, and we need to be careful of this. Notice that Daniel does not take credit for what happens here. He always points back to God. Sometimes I think God comes into our life and he wants us to be a Daniel to someone else. He wants us to be his voice, to help someone else understand the mysteries that God has for him. And so sometimes that's scary because we have to step out, we have to take chances, we have to uh, speak into someone's life and we're not sure that they're willing to answer or willing to hear what we have to say and yet God prods us, pushes us to be his voice in someone's life. And it's amazing if you've ever had that happen, it's amazing to be God's voice for someone, to give them direction, to explain something. But here's the thing, the temptation that we face sometimes, when we 
are God's voice, we are tempted to take the credit for it because it makes us look good. It makes, puffs us up. I have no doubt that Daniel was worried about what the king would think about him. I mean, I'm sure Daniel wanted the king to be impressed with him because Daniel's looking for a job. He's finished his training. And yet at no point does he step into the temptation of taking God's role in this. At no point does he claim what he did was on his own. He always points back to God. I think there's another reminder here as well. Sometimes God will put us in places like he does Daniel, where we are over our head, where we need to rely totally on him to to function and do what God has called us to do. At the end of the day, I wonder sometimes what Nebuchadnezzar thought of this dream. I mean, sure, it was a great reminder or a great confirmation of where he was headed and what his life would become. But I wonder if he ever took the time to step back and think about the rock and the mountain. Or was he just so focused on his own kingdom? Was he so focused on securing his own uh, ability to lead? Was he so focused on uh, securing his legacy as a ruler that he just totally ignored the rock and the mountain? That he didn't pay attention to what God also wanted to tell him in this vision? I wonder if he's like a lot of people that I think are like today. I think there's a lot of people who really care less about what God's plan for the world is. They're so focused on their success. They're so focused on creating a legacy for themselves that will endure beyond them that as long as that happens, they don't care about anything else. In essence, as long as they're the head of the statue, they're not worried about what God does. But here's the lesson that I think we all need to take away from this story. What God is trying to teach us today is this. There is one thing we can know without a doubt about the future. That everything we do, that everything we build, that everything we store up, all of it will eventually disappear like chaff. It will all be gone. And so if you want your life to count, if you want to be something part of, be part of something that is eternal. The only thing that you need to concentrate on, the only thing that you need to step into is you need to be part of what God is doing in this world. You need to be part of his kingdom. You need to be part of his church. And to be part of that, it always comes back to Jesus. It always comes back to that little rock that wasn't cut out by human hands. It comes back to the thing about needing to accept who Jesus is, needing to believe in what he has done for you, and needing to confess that you need him more than anything else in this world. That, I think, is the lesson that Daniel wants us to understand, and that's what God is trying to tell Nebuchadnezzar in the midst of everything. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this glimpse into Nebuchadnezzar's life. Lord, there is a blessing that Nebuchadnezzar receives here that many of us may not receive. You spoke directly to him about what his life would be like. And yet in many ways, I think he missed what you actually wanted to tell him. That the only thing that lasts is your kingdom. And so whatever we do that is not connected to you will not last 
no matter how hard we work at it, no matter how many hours we put in it, no matter how big we build it, it will all disappear. It will come to nothing. And so God, my prayer is that our church, the people who are listening to this, would acknowledge that they are not the head of the statue, that you are more important to them, that anything that's gonna last is what they do in your kingdom. Lord, I pray for those who are searching, those who are hearing your voice but not fully understanding. Pray that you would reveal yourself to them today, that you would, be the, you would reveal the mystery that they're trying to solve and that they would understand that all mysteries lead to Jesus. Everything come back to him and that they need him more than anything else in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening to the second part of Daniel. And I'm looking forward to next week when we jump into chapter three and look at some of the ramifications of what just happened in the chapter we looked at. I pray that as you discuss the questions after the service, that God will use those questions to speak to you, that he will challenge you, that he will reveal things to you that maybe you didn't really know you needed revealing. And again, I would just encourage you, if you want to know anything that's going on in the church, if you have questions, go to our website at southridgefellowship.ca. Until next week, Southridge, have a great week.